You're listening to a parish podcast, a reimagined faith community. A number of years ago, I was at a conference where the theme was getting wise to the ways of God. The speaker gave talks with evocative titles like God lets the chickens come home to roost. God sneaks in the back door, and God loves a rematch. I'm going to steal the title of that latter one for today's sermon, God Loves a Rematch. In that original talk, the speaker used the example of one of the twelve sons of Jacob named Judah. He's the one who masterminds the plan to get rid of his annoying and arrogant little brother Joseph by selling him as a slave. However, Years later, he faces a situation where someone wants to enslave his youngest brother, Benjamin. This time, he recognizes that to lose the other son of Rachel would break his father's heart, so he begs the official to let Benjamin go and instead keep him as a slave. Youthful Judah made a cruel and spiteful decision to sell his brother as a slave, but God gave him a rematch a chance to face a similar situation and make a better choice, which is just what he does. Today we're looking at a story that in some ways is a rematch of the story that Aaron spoke on last week, the calling of Peter and Andrew as disciples. You recall Simon, who would later become Peter, and his friends had been out fishing all night and caught nothing. Jesus borrows one of their boats as a teaching platform and then, surprisingly, encourages them to go back out to the deep water and cast a net one more time. Today's story has many of those same elements, but it also represents a rematch from another scene in Peter's life, an opportunity to make different choices than he did the night he denied Jesus three times. This story fits in the Easter season because it's another one of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, and here's how John tells it in his biography. After this, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Simon Peter and six other disciples were all together. I'm going fishing, he said. We'll go with you, they replied. So they went off and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. As dawn was breaking, Jesus stood beside the seashore, but the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Children, said Jesus to them, haven't you got anything to eat? No, they replied. Cast the net in on the right side of the boat, he said, and you'll find something. So they cast the net, and now they couldn't draw it in because of the weight of the fish. So the disciple that Jesus loved spoke to Peter and said, It's the master. When Simon Peter heard that it was the master, he wrapped his cloak around him, he had been naked for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples brought the boat into land, dragging the net full of fish. They weren't far from shore, about a hundred yards away. When they came to land, they saw a charcoal fire laid there, with fish and bread on it. Jesus spoke to them. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, he said. 
So Simon Peter went and pulled the net onto the shore. It was full of large fish, 153 in all. The net wasn't torn, even though there were so many. Come and have breakfast, said Jesus to them. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Master. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so also with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he had been raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus spoke to Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, he said, do you love me more than these? Yes, master, he said, you know I'm your friend. Well then, he said, feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, said Jesus again for a second time, do you love me? Yes, master, he said, you know I'm your friend. Well then, he said, look after my sheep. Simon, son of John, said Jesus a third time, are you my friend? Peter was upset that on this third time Jesus asked, are you my friend? Master, he said, you know everything. You know I'm your friend. Well then, said Jesus, feed my sheep. There's so much in this story, so many symbolic references to events during Jesus' ministry. There is the obvious parallel to the story we looked at last week where Simon Peter is first called to be a disciple. A whole night spent fishing with nothing to show for it. And then the invitation to go back out and try the other side of the boat. It's a seemingly silly instruction. It's not like suggesting to someone struggling to open a door that they try a different key. The other side of the boat is still the same water and still the same lake. And yet, when they do, they are rewarded with the miraculous, bountiful catch of fish. There is the fact that Jesus has conjured up a bread and fish breakfast for them, so reminiscent of the feeding of the 5,000. You'll recall that on that occasion, the luncheon started with a bag lunch of five loaves and two small fish that the disciples had located. Jesus takes the things that they are offering and makes them enough. At today's breakfast, he already has the food ready, but invites them to bring some of their catch too so that they can participate. Of course, from a catch that he has already miraculously provided. Jesus apparently doesn't want them to fall into the trap of thinking it, it all depends on them. He will invite them to participate in what he's doing, but he will provide all the resources they need to do that. But the story I want to focus on this morning is that of Peter. Peter, who has gone from the bold and outspoken leader of the disciples to a failed follower and a broken man. Peter, who must have felt like an outcast among the disciples. He who had boasted that he would be more faithful than all the rest, and then ran at the first sign of danger. Peter, who wept bitterly after his denial of Jesus. Peter, who, although he had been named the leader of the apostles, was not the one Jesus appeared to on Easter morning. Peter, whose life had looked so promising on the morning of that first miraculous fishing trip, but who now probably felt like his future was bleak. And it's the story of the Peter who has gone back to fishing. It's not clear what motivated Peter to head out on the water that night. Did it mean he was 
convinced he was a failure as a disciple? Was he, in resignation, going back to the only thing he thought he knew how to do? Although that night's catch suggested maybe he wasn't even successful at that. And when they came to shore, tired and disappointed, there is someone waiting for them on the beach. Someone and something. There is a charcoal fire. The last time we read about a charcoal fire in the biography of Jesus was on the night of his arrest. Some of the disciples follow at a distance as Jesus is taken to stand trial before the high priest. There is a charcoal fire in the courtyard, and Peter draws close to warm himself. It is there that he denies being a disciple, denies even knowing Jesus. As Jesus had foretold, he does it three times, and then the cock crows. Jesus turns round and makes eye contact with Peter, and the fallen disciple goes out and weeps bitterly. I can't help but think that that's exactly where Peter's mind went. Jesus is again making eye contact with him over a charcoal fire. It's time for a rematch. The Peter who clamors to the shore is a very different man than the one we've come to know from the stories of the three previous years. In those stories, he's brash, confident, and always has something to say. This Peter is silent defers to the opinion of another disciple about whether it's Jesus on the shore, and perhaps as a sign of the level of shame he is bearing, he takes time to put his cloak back on before leaving the boat. He jumps in the water and makes his way to shore. Jesus' approach to the disciples as they come up out of the water is tender and maternal. Children, haven't you got anything to eat? He then provides the miraculous catch and feeds them breakfast. That meal must have tasted wonderful. You've probably never had fish that fresh. Bread still warm from the fire, the fresh lake air, and the relaxation after a hard night's work. When the meal is over, Jesus takes Peter aside and speaks with him. Or perhaps I should say he takes Simon aside, because that's how Jesus addresses him. I'm not sure why he used the old name. Maybe it would have been painful to be called Peter, which means rock, because he had been anything but rock-like in his steadfastness. Or perhaps it's an acknowledgement that at that moment, the only future Peter can imagine for himself is going back to being Simon, the nobody subsistence fisherman. On the night of the trial, as he and the servants in the high priest's courtyard huddled around that charcoal fire, Peter had been asked three times about his relationship to Jesus. Each time, he disavowed it. This morning, after breakfast around another charcoal fire, Jesus gives him a rematch. He asks the disciple three times about their relationship. And each time, Simon pledges his love. The Greek word Peter uses is philio, the word for brotherly love or friendship. Jesus has asked, do you love me, using agapeo, the word for divine love. But in contrast to what we might have expected from the old Peter, Simon doesn't make exaggerated claims of having a divine love. He says he has brotherly love for Jesus. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis describes filio as the highest of the human loves, 
Simon is making a strong claim, but not an overstated one. Three times Simon is asked, and three times he pledges his faithful love. He wins the rematch. But there's more. Jesus not only tenderly welcomes the now chastened disciple and redeems for him his painful experience on the night of the trial, he reaffirms Simon Peter's call to feed his sheep. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, Jesus says. Peter's past was marked by a brash overconfidence that led him to boast greater loyalty than he showed. But that area of brokenness didn't disqualify him from the ministry Jesus was setting out for him. It was the healing of that brokenness, the replacement of the brash overconfidence that he brought to their first match with the quiet humility he shows in the rematch that made him fit for ministry. Perhaps Peter is finally learning some of what Jesus meant on the Sermon on the Mount when he announced the flourishing of those who are meek. Kintsugi means golden joinery. It's the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with lacquer mixed with powdered gold. The place of brokenness becomes the place of beauty when it is healed. I think of that when I see Simon Peter at this lakeside breakfast. He has been wounded, but is more beautiful for it. It's not that Jesus calls him back into ministry despite his misplaced pride and his failure. It's that when he brings his failures to Jesus and allows him to heal them, he is actually more fit for ministry. If we didn't know the end of the story, we might have been alarmed when Peter clutched his cloak around himself and jumped off the boat, maybe worried that he'd be tempted to swim in the opposite direction rather than coming to Jesus. It would have been so easy to retreat into shame and avoid the potentially painful conflict of facing Jesus. Brene Brown writes helpfully about the difference between guilt and shame. She says, shame is... I am bad. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is, I did something bad. Guilt is a focus on behavior. If Simon Peter had hidden with his shame, hidden in his shame, he would never have made it to the rematch. Shame sees the person that I am as the problem, so it would never volunteer for another round. It would never run the risk of being humiliated again in a rematch. But guilt is ready for a rematch because it knows that my behavior is the problem and that through God's forgiveness and healing grace, that can always change. God loves a rematch. And God gives us that second, third, or fifteenth chance not to find out whether we have grown. As Peter poignantly says to Jesus, Master, you know everything. You know that I love you. No, the reason we get the rematch is so that we can see how God is growing us and how even our biggest failures 